You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.metagroup.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It is 7.35 p.m. Pacific time. It's uh, December 22nd, uh, 2022. And... um, We've been talking about mentalizing, talking about emotional regulation. Um, The attachment repair system that Dan Brown and his group developed uh, out in Newton, Mass, is a three-pillar approach. There is the ideal parent figure, which is the reparenting process. Um, You make these visualizations which then stacks the perceptual database with entries that are pristine in terms of their uh, pure security and and quite idealized and then you have the mentalizing training we use uh, vipassana meta vipassana approach for the mentalizing training and the emotional regulation and then there's the psychoeducation around collaborative relationship systems. The thing about collaborative relationship systems is that if you grow up in a family system that uses uh, secure functioning as the the way of operating, then you have all of these instructions just as a matter of course growing up. And if you grow up in family systems that use insecure, disorganized attachment systems, you don't have the instruction in that. So you don't have a sense of how that goes. And so there's a way of learning about that, understanding the dynamics of collaborative relationships, of uh, mutual and supportive care, that you actually take care of the other person in the way that they want to be taken care of, and they take care of you in the way that you want to be taken care of, and you collaborate with each other around those goals, which means you have to be willing to tell somebody how you like to be taken care of, and then have to work with them so that they they develop a real sense of competence in taking care of you. And then you have to take care of them in the way that they want to be taken care of and they collaborate with you so that you can learn how to take care of them in a way that's meaningful to them. And then you take on the responsibility of doing that so that you, you don't have to be prompted to do it. You're just tracking <clears throat> when the care is needed and when it isn't and providing it when it is. And then there's an agreement about that because there are times, of course, in the course of relationship where you may not be able to provide that care or the person you're in relationship may not to, you know, if you have a cold and you need to stay in bed, you can't provide the care. And and so the, 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 your uh, partner in the relationship then takes over too much. And then when you're back on your feet, they put it back down and you take over. And there's a, a balancing so that both of you feel good about the exchange in the relationship. Which is not what happens in insecure or disorganized relationship. There's usually some kind of uh, out of balance happening. So depending on the dynamic of that. Secure people tend to form relationships with other secure people. Dismissing people tend to form relationships 
um, with preoccupied people because the there's a good match there. Disorganized people tend to form relationships with disorganized people. The main issue in disorganized uh, relationships is that neither party is particularly reliable. And so you have to be with somebody who tolerates the lack of reliability that disorganized people often exhibit. And really the only person that's willing to do that is another disorganized person because you're some sense equally unreliable so you can't really hold the other person accountable for their lack of reliability because you you don't show up either in a reliable way dismissing people don't reciprocate in relationships uh, but preoccupied people don't explore and so there isn't that need for the separation so that the preoccupied person can explore uh, their actual interest is in, in proximity. And so if the dismissing person is willing to allow proximity, that, that they don't provide much else in the relationship uh, is uh, acceptable in those terms. The secure people don't have relationships with dismissing people because they require uh, collaboration in the relationship and dismissing people don't collaborate. It's easy to understand this in a way that everybody has uh, capacities to do this and that they decide that they're not going to do that. And that actually isn't how it works. It's that people have deficits in these areas so that they don't have the choice about whether they do it or not. A dismissing person doesn't reciprocate because they don't have any training in collaborative relationships. They don't understand the value of it. They don't think about doing it. It's not that they have the thought, oh, I should be collaborative here. I'm not going to do it. it just never occurs to them that they should be collaborative. Um, preoccupied people don't explore and they like to have relationships that restrict that so that they don't have to uh, get into the uh, emotional uh, tangle that figuring out how to explore would take. Uh, so that they like to be in relationships where the energy is all consumed so that there isn't any left for exploration, which gives them a, a sense of self-justification that, that they can't do it, um, which is this uh, habit of taking on, dismissing people and taking care of them, but not having any reciprocation. So all of the energy gets consumed in that way. This is a Buddhist meditation uh, group, and so I like to talk about all of this stuff as the preliminary practices, so that you get yourself in shape where you actually are able to form a, a network of people who support your exploration, your solo exploration, and they're curious about it, uh, and uh, provide the care that you need so you, you can do that and that you do that for them as well. And so then, then there's an exchange of uh, what you find out in each of your explorations. And when we talk about the pursuit of enlightenment as a goal for meditation practice, uh, we also uh, talk about the support that you're gonna need to be able to do that. And if you can't form these kinds of collaborative, supportive relationships, it makes the pursuit of 
the deeper insights very challenging, if not impossible to uh, achieve. So um, one of the things about using meditation uh, in supporting the development of a supportive community around you is that all of the strategies that you use to develop mentalizing, develop emotional regulation uh, are also the skills that you need to pursue your deeper meditation practice. So there's not, it's not a loss in that sense. Uh, you develop uh, and figure out how to use meditation skills, but then can be applied after you complete the, the repair of the early conditioning um, in the pursuit of uh, the deeper practice. Ideal parent figure is a practice, uh, ideal parent figure protocol was based on Mahamudra practice, the visualization or deity practice, sometimes it's called where you visualize uh, um, um, the Buddha or one of the deities in the, the Tibetan tradition. In, in that practice, you uh, see into the uh, impermanent and uh, ephemeral nature of self by replacing this, the sense of uh, your own self-concept with that of the deity. Um, and so in the ideal parent figure practice, you replace uh, or um, replaces a bad word uh, for what we're talking about. Uh, it, it's you add to the constellation of uh, the perceptual database ideal parent figures, which are uh, imaginary. And uh, you're supported in doing that with a facilitator. One of the things that uh, can happen in using ideal parent figure protocol without a facilitator is that you reinforce the uh, insecure disorganized attachment system rather than replace it with a, a secure system. Uh, if you don't know how to recognize secure functioning because you haven't been instructed in it, it's very hard to uh, mentalize the visualizations in a way that are secure in the way that we need them to be for you to change the attachment responses. One of the things that uh, is available more and more online is these uh, recorded guided meditations that are based on the ideal parent figure protocol. And um, <clears throat> I think that that's useful in a, a preliminary practice of developing the, the capacity to do it, that it's important that you find a facilitator that, to guide you through the different stages of it so that uh, you're actually insured of making progress and not in, in some sense reinforcing the existing attachment conditioning. There's a question in, this, in the, the chat, which is, is that the same as the schema development? When we do the ideal parent figure protocol, we, we go through several stages of it. 
the first part is to establish these ideal parent figures which you can recall reliably and that are secure in in the way that you visualize them this the that uh, in introductory uh, piece uh, also includes developing the five uh, aspects of secure functioning the first is a sense of safety sense of security the second is uh, the ease with which you attune uh, attunement means you place your attention on somebody they place their attention on you and you're aware that each other's attention is being held by the other and you're able to tolerate the emotional uh, charge that those kinds of uh, attuning exchanges can cause uh, part of this is distance um, the human eye doesn't resolve at such a high resolution that if you're six feet or so away from somebody it's hard to read the micro expressions of emotion in the face you need to be within three feet for the, for the typical human eye to be able to resolve at that uh, level of detail to track that so you get a general impression at six feet or farther away of the the posture which you can uh, relate uh, some meaning to but not uh, a, a more detailed uh, experience at about three feet you can read the facial expressions pretty well even gather the micro expressions but not at that distance that so you're not really close enough to get an unfiltered perspective of the dilation or contraction of the iris which is the final indicator of the uh, experience the internal experience of the other person now you may uh, be thinking that i can't read iris uh, uh, variations uh, even if i were close enough to see them you have to be about a foot of the, foot away from somebody in order to read those accurately but if you did have uh, a sensitive enough caregiver and you were in a dyadic relationship with them six inches from their face uh, during that initial experience of being an infant in relationship to the caregiver you do begin to read and understand at least the face of the caregiver that you had but that includes the fluctuations of those irises so that you have an unconscious understanding of what that means even if you don't consciously have the skill to do it and if you didn't have that kind of closeness it will will not be something that you can do easily but notice that at that six foot distance there's not a big emotional charge in attuning to somebody but when you get within three feet there's more of an emotional charge it's harder to hold the eye contact continuously and when you get to be a foot away from somebody else and you're looking into their eyes there's usually uh, quite a bit of an emotional intensity to it um, how many people do you let get within a foot of your face and look into your eyes um, that you can hold their gaze i'm going to guess not that many um, <clears throat> so tuning if you feel safe and you're willing to present yourself authentically then um, you have the experience of the other person really 
knowing you in an, in an unfiltered, uh, intimate way. Then the third part is the emotional regulation. Uh, this co capacity for co-regulation with another person is autonomic, it's unconscious. And so really what we track in relationships is whether you feel better after spending a half an hour with somebody, whether you feel the same or whether you feel worse, which is possible. Somebody could be dysregulating rather than neutral or regulating. Really what we're looking for are people who can really regulate us and have a great capacity for distress so that we can really go out to the edges of uh, what we need to find out in our exploration, get totally discombobulated, come rushing back and have somebody who can catch us easily so they don't withdraw from us when we're like that. The fourth is the, the sense of delight, a felt sense of delight in who you are, <clears throat> not in what you do for somebody. And then the fifth aspect is the aspect of support for our solo explorations, which means somebody is willing to let us go. And when we come back, they're uh, delighted that we've come back and are interested in what we've found out. Then we move on to attachment activation. So attachment activations are where you perceive the threat of abandonment. And depending on your attachment conditioning, you perceive it differently. Uh, preoccupied people tend to have an intense experience of abandonment anxiety. Dismissing people tend to have the experience of being rejected. Uh, secure people uh, can have either of those experiences, but it's not at the same level of intensity. Secure people have this orientation that they're capable of getting their needs met in the world. They'll be responsive to them, which is very different than insecure and disorganized people who feel that uh, relationships are very hard to come by and that uh, it's better to be in a bad relationship than to be alone. Christian? George, if you have people that come to you that turn out to be natively secure, like, do you, is there a point to IPF with them? I know, I know you can get into like the schema stuff with them, but... Well, uh, prototypically secure people sometimes come, um, but there's usually impacts that happen later. So the mid-childhood period is the place of schemas, and then post-adolescence is the place of the core conflict resolution themes, the your family system, and somebody else's family system needing to be uh, integrated so that you can function uh, in conflict in conflict in the relationship. But an example would be a student who uh, grew up in Southern California uh, until she was about six or seven, and then moved to. Uh, Alabama, and uh, where she was, she fit in pretty well in Southern California. She didn't fit in very well in Alabama. And there was a lot of bullying and a lot of 
uh, uh, social ostracization and a lot of uh, social isolation for her. And then uh, after high school, she moved back to Southern California and reintegrated, but that mid-childhood period uh, caused uh, uh, her expectations of how uh, it's going to go socially to be quite uh, negatively impacted. So the ideal parent figure work was really about uh, exploring uh, secure functioning relationships, uh, what an ideal partner might, might be like, and then also repairing the expectation of how exploration is going to turn out uh, and uh, working through uh, a high number of schemas that, that developed in that middle childhood period. So first you track the activations, work with the activations until they're fewer and fewer, and then we move into the schema part which is the mid-childhood period, working through the schemas uh, to get to a place then of working with the secure intimacy, uh, ideal partner figure work. And then the final piece is developing the capacity to explore uh, in a primary sense, not in a secondary sense, the primary uh, exploration is the one where the, ex the activity itself is where you find the meaning. The secondary exploration is where you're gathering resources so that you can support the primary exploration or, or, or the life that you have. Some people who have uh, some impact uh, to their capacity to explore, but it's not completely shut down, will be uh, able to pursue a secondary exploration where they're actually gathering resources to support their life, but they won't have much in the way of a primary exploration where they're actually pursuing meaningfulness. Um, once all of that's uh, taken care of, uh, you can stop doing the attachment work and move into the primary exploration of finding meaning, which is where we open up into the, the deeper meditation practices in pursuit of uh, awakening. Is that all making sense? Christian? So under this formulation is, is the IPF work, or I guess the three pillars more broadly, but specifically is the IPF work sort of abandoned at some point or is there a point to it way way down the line once you're kind of into the vipassana no uh happily it's a short-term idea you do work through it depending on how quickly it goes depending on how much there is to do um, i always use the old pc game minesweeper as the uh, metaphor you know, if you remember the game, uh, it's a bunch, it's a grid with squares. Sometimes you click on a square and half the board opens up and it's easy. And sometimes you click on a square and there's uh, mines all around. You have to move really slowly through it. 
So sometimes the conditioning isn't much and sometimes there's heavy conditioning that has to be worked through in order to get free of it. Um, but once you get free of it, you don't have to do it anymore because you're actually free of it. And then you can go on to other things, which is nice. It's uh, freeing in that sense. I know freedom. Um, but once you have a sense of yourself uh, that includes confidence that you can take care of yourself and you have an expectation that the world will be receptive to the things that you want to find out uh, and that you're able to put in place around you a, a network of social support, then uh, that uh, deeper exploration is really available and that you don't need to clear away the the obscurations that have been removed because they're gone. <clears throat> so we were, we've gotten through this whole thing pretty well in the last few um, conversations. Uh, what the mentalizing thing is, what the emotional regulation thing is. Um, Stacy? George, does the um, level one meditation and attachment course that you offer, is that something that a person does so that they can learn how to become securely attached? It is. Okay. So the way we're, we've organized it is the, this is a fairly complex system. And so we're trying to describe it in, in, in layers of depth. So the level one is like skipping across the surface. It's touching on the full range of the topic. So you have a sense of what that whole range is. Uh, and then if that makes sense to you, you would go into a level two class where you go deeper into it. Uh, and then if that makes sense, go into the level three, which is the individual work. Uh, level four is after the security is earned, doing the secure uh, relationship work, the ideal partnership work and then the exploration work. Uh, level five is for people who are already in committed relationships and uh, need help negotiating uh, new terms for the relationships. One of the things that happens when one person uh, does the work, or even if both people are doing the work, is that as your attachment conditioning changes, the arrangements that you've made in your existing relationships are likely to need to be renegotiated because you're no longer uh, functioning in the way that you did when the uh, agreements were made. And particularly if you have one person doing the work and the other person not doing the work, uh, you're in an insecure relationship with an insecure relationship dynamic and one person or earns their security, they're no longer really willing to do the uh, the terms of the insecure relationship. And so there, there needs to be 
a renegotiation if it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. So for instance, if you have a dismissing partner and they're content with the, the terms of a dismissing relationship, but you you uh, come out of say preoccupation into earned security and you're no longer willing to be in a relationship where there's no reciprocation, it's very hard to negotiate that so that that relationship survives. But often uh, the relationships are negotiable and can come into new terms that, that uh, stabilize the relationships. Just depends on the specifics of that. But that level five is where uh, you have, it's like a couple's frame, which works not only for romantic partners, but business partners or siblings or friendships. Then you complete all of that and you're free of it and you have the, the earned security to support you and as you pursue the rest of the things that life has to offer. Thank you. Um, but uh, some people like to do uh, level one, the way we usually talk about it is, are you somebody who likes to stick their toe in the pool before you jump in? Or are you somebody who just jumps in the deep end? Because uh, some people skip over level one and just go into level two. And then, you know, mentalizing is something that you need to develop. And if you're a fairly low mentalizer, which is where the, you know, disorganized people are, the preoccupied people also tend to be fairly low mentalizers. It may take, uh, more than one round of level two to develop the mentalizing capacity that you need to move into level three. And, and unfortunately, um, all of this is fairly resource intensive and, and disorganized people often are resource challenged, so it's harder for them. And also, and they have the most to do, which is part of the conundrum of our society and the way that we treat people like this, treat uh, people who need uh, additional support. Um, any questions about any of this uh, stuff that we've been talking about in the last few weeks or what's been presented tonight? I think that uh, one of the things I like to emphasize is how hopeful this really is, how this system is reliable in terms of the results, and that it doesn't take that long to do it. Uh, it took me about 84 sessions to go from complexly disorganized to earn secure, which is pretty good. Um, and, you know, I'm somebody who had countless therapy sessions over 28 years of therapy and to do this in a little over two years seems rapid in, in comparison. And the, the changes are quite profound. So we use a Medivipassana approach for this, which is the intentional development 
of positivity uh, and then the insight that comes from being able to track this through the insight side or the positive side. So the heart practice is to develop the positivity and the uh, insight practice is to develop the mentalizing capacity. When you have uh, emotional regulation strategies that are really based on generating afflictive emotional states, the replacing of the positivity with the afflictive states is very important and, and uh, should be the front loader into the practice so that you really have a way of holding the experience of self uh, in a loving way and in a compassionate way. Uh, the sympathetic joy practice is very useful in developing the capacity to delight. One of the currencies of secure functioning relationships is the capacity to delight in the people that you're in relationship to. And uh, in insecure and disorganized relationships, delight is uh, compromised by uh, the conditioning experience. So dismissing people think of delight as a currency. You trade delight for things that you want. It's not a spontaneous and genuine experience of the other person. It's something that you present to them so that uh, they'll give you what you want. Preoccupied people, because helplessness and, and uh, this angry chaotic demand for care is the way that they operate, they, they really don't have any sense of what it is to delight or how to use it in a relationship to support uh, the ease of connection. And so that, that has to be learned almost from scratch. And then in disorganized people, the delight in them uh, as children was often one of the agents uh, that uh, allowed them to be harmed by people so that they they have a sense of being very suspect of being delighted in because their expectation is that it's a prelude to some kind of exploitation or abuse. And so that has to be relearned uh, so that the, the capacity to be delighted in and also to delight in others is there. So these are all uh, skills that can be trained that you can develop. And then uh, once you have the full set, the operating in secure uh, functioning relationships is quite uh, simple. It's when there's a skills deficit that it, that it uh, is difficult to do, if not impossible. Any questions about that? Maybe what we should do now is some uh, of the heart practices. We're uh, coming up on the holiday season for uh, most of us. And so uh, many of us will be having contact with our family systems. Um, and uh, you can think of it as an archaeology journey if you want to and uh, explore how your family system functions so you can have a sense of what it is. You'll, if you can track how people emotionally regulate themselves or present themselves within the family system, it's likely that you have all of those skills if you grew up in that family system, because that's how it operates. And have a sense of how people do it. 
and also uh, begin to develop a sense of compassion for the uh, for the uh, experiences that each of you had growing up in that family system and might even get some insight from siblings or uh, cousins or different people and if there's a possibility to repair something that's still uh, unresolved that also is useful so let's do some loving kindness practice we'll start with an easy person and work with self so that um, when you uh, then maybe finish with some friends and family go along with the season we're in So thanks everybody for your practice. Um, we won't meet again until the new year. So the the first Thursday of January. I really appreciate your practice. We have a bunch of stuff coming up in January. We're doing a, a level one, February a level two. We're doing an EU level one um, in April. Um, we're having a retreat in Utrecht in June. Uh, anyway, a bunch of stuff is on the website. Take a look at it if you want. I offer the teaching freely, um, but I do hope you'll make a donation and help support me and also the work that Metagroup is doing. Really appreciate your practice. I hope you have a happy uh, holiday if you're celebrating. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon. Bye.